Episode 82 of the State of the Old Republic podcast was originally recorded on July 4th, 2018. It's the State of the Old Republic podcast. This week, Season 9 of Ranked PvP will end later this month. BioWare is planning some big changes for how long seasons will last and what rewards you can get. I'll have the details just ahead. Speaking of Ranked PvP rewards, BioWare announced that fat loot coming for Season 9. I'll tell you about the titles, flares, and more available to you soon. Finally this week, I continue my story project as Chapter 2 comes to a close. It may be summer, but I'm feeling hoth, hoth, hoth. And with that, it's time to make the jump to Lightspeed and check out the state of the Old Republic. Welcome to Episode 82 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and as you heard in the opening, I have another great show lined up for you today. As always, let's start with some announcements for the Old Republic. It is now July, which means Game Update 5.9.2 isn't too far away. There is no official release date for it, although at this point I would expect it to drop on July 24th or 31st. Even if the go-live date is still a few weeks away, Game Update 5.92 is going up on the PTS, and that could happen as early as this week. Now remember, the PTS will be open to anyone who has a subscription and the space to download it. And finally, BioWare is planning to do a live stream to talk about 5.9.2 as well. No word on date and time for that yet. Well, that's it for the announcements. Let's slice the holonet and get to the news this week. Last episode, I told you about part one of an interview that my friends at the Passionately Casual podcast did with Charles Boyd. Well, since then, they've released part two, which focused on story and lore. Charles talked about companions, and apparently he had plans for Zenith, but the Alliance alert was similar to one that didn't go over too well, so it was scrapped. That's probably a good thing. Zenith doesn't, doesn't strike me as someone who likes having a tiny umbrella in their drink. Charles said that with Story now shifting back to the Republican Empire, he has found something more appropriate for the former Balmoran resistance fighter to do. One thing Charles said about the upcoming Story is that they plan to bring back some old characters who have been around for a long time, some since the beginning of the game. They'll, of course, introduce new characters as well. I've said it before, but I love that they cultivate old characters, both major and minor, and incorporate them into future stories. One of those characters that we may see more of this time around is Darth Falron, who was first introduced in the Sith Warrior story. The interview is very good, and I'll have a link to it in my show notes, so if you haven't listened to it yet, you should be sure and check it out. Moving on now to PvP, Rank Season 9 will end with the release of Game Update 5.92 later this month. It's a good bet that 5.92 will also mark the start of Season 10. Season 9 started on August 22, 2017. If 5.92 goes live at the end of July, that means Season 9 will have lasted 11 months. If you think that's too long for a Rank PvP season, you're not alone, and Bioware is planning some changes to address this and other issues including having multiple currencies and access to rewards from prior seasons. 
Starting with Season 10, BioWare plans to make the following changes. Seasons will now run 3-6 to six months. The goal is to be around 3 months, but timing will be determined by game updates. Due to shorter seasons, seasonal rewards will be adjusted as follows. Seasonal bracket rewards would be reduced overall. For example, each tier might receive a stronghold decoration, title, and flair. All seasons will now use the same type of currency. There will be a permanent ranked rewards vendor, which will periodically be updated with new items such as mounts, armor sets, and weapon sets. Starting at the end of Season 10, they will add Season 1's rewards to the vendor for purchase. These items would be priced at a premium. This would mean they are available for purchase, but they will be quite pricey to be fair to those who earn them at the time of the season completing. At the completion of future seasons, they will continue to add prior season's rewards. For example, they will add Season 2 rewards at the completion of Season 11. According to Eric Musco, these changes will keep some exclusive rewards per season tied to your rank, while allowing us to continue releasing bigger rewards on roughly the same cadence we did previously. This will also allow us, over time, to build an extensive list of goods on the vendor, which keeps a greater incentive for players to continue participating throughout the season. In the end, players should expect to see shorter seasons, less tiered rewards with greater rewards on a permanent vendor, as well as the ability to purchase seasonal rewards for a premium price. All in all, these sounds like pretty good changes to ranked PvP. In addition to the proposed changes, Bioware also announced the Season 9 ranked rewards. Now, I'm not going to go through everything that would take too long to get through, but here are the highlights. The bronze, silver, and gold tiers will all get a tier-specific battle flag, frame decoration, portrait flare, and title. Each higher tier will also get the title from the lower tiers. The top 96 to top 3 of each advanced class will also get a title, portrait flare, and all of the lower tier exclusives. Each tier will also grant a number of Season 9 tokens, which can be used to purchase additional items from a PvP vendor. These items include a holo ranker mount, a black silver striated color crystal, PvP weapon sets, decorations, additional titles, and more. Congratulations to everyone who participated in Season 9 and is eligible for those nice rewards. Alright, so I now want to continue with my story project. For those of you who haven't been paying attention, what I'm attempting to do is play all 8 classes and move them through their class, companion, and planetary stories all at once. The goal is to find a playthrough that works chronologically. I'm not going for canon. This week I completed Hoth and reached the end of Chapter 2. All that remains is Belsavis, Voss, and Corellia. Before I begin, I want to warn you that I'm going to get into spoilers and plot points and play some clips. So if you haven't done all of the class stories or other stories that are part of the 1-50 to experience, this is your cue to exit. As a reminder, I'm going to refer to the characters as he or she based on the gender I chose for my characters. It just makes it easier to talk about them. There is absolutely nothing about the story that suggests you must choose a specific gender for a class. Although there are certain story moments that you can only experience as male or female, some of them quite good. As always, I want to take a couple of minutes and recap the story for you. For the Empire, the Sith Warrior has been tasked by Darth Barriss with executing Plan Zero, the assassination of the Republic's top military leaders. The goal is to have the Treaty of Coruscant fall apart and have the Empire and Republic actively engaged in open warfare across the galaxy. 
Additionally, Darth Barriss is using this as an opportunity to take down his master, Darth Fenjin, in hopes of gaining his seat on the Dark Council. The Sith Inquisitor is traveling the galaxy, binding Force ghosts in an attempt to gain their power. She plans to use this power to defeat Darth Thanaton, who is trying to kill her. Thanaton is Darth Zash's former master and a member of the Dark Council. The bounty hunter is making a name for herself as she tracks some of the most elusive targets in all of the galaxy. After almost getting herself captured by the SIS, the bounty hunter heads to Hoth for her next blacklist target, a Trandoshan pirate named Renegade Voss. The Imperial agent has infiltrated the SIS as a double agent. Because of his attack on Darth Jadis, Imperial Intelligence brainwashed Cypher 9. The SIS knows about this and is controlling Cypher 9 via the Empire's diabolical technology. Cypher 9 has found the key to breaking free of this mind control, but he's not in control of himself just yet, and he must help the SIS with a critical mission on Hoth. For the Republic, the Jedi Knight has discovered that the Sith Emperor has a secret fortress in orbit above Dromund Kaas. Seeing this as an opportunity to defeat the Emperor once and for all, the Jedi Knight is working to get the tools he needs to breach the mighty fortress. The Jedi Knight now travels to Hoth to retrieve the plans to the Emperor's hidden base. The Jedi Consular is aiding the Rift Alliance, a group of leaders sympathetic to the Republic, in hopes of gaining their full support against the Empire. She is now needed on Hoth, where pesky pirates are causing problems for the Rift Alliance. The Republic Trooper has been tasked with destroying the Gauntlet, an Imperial superweapon capable of destroying ships as they travel through hyperspace. To complete this task, Havoc Squad needs to recruit the Republic's finest. The last recruit is stationed on Hoth, and Havoc Squad heads to the icy planet to find the Finesman. Finally, the smuggler is running secret operations for his old friend Darmus Polarin and Republic Senator Dodonna. In the course of aiding the Republic, the smuggler has made an enemy of the Void Wolf, an Imperial Grand Admiral with his own designs on taking over the seedy underworld. That's the story thus far. Our heroes now travel to a world of wampas, snow, and ice, the miserable planet known as Hoth. Hoth is the final planet of Chapter 2. It doesn't officially end Chapter 2. That happens in a series of off-world actions that end with the Empire and Republic at war and everyone heading to Belsavis. Today I'm going to cover both Hoth and the end of Chapter 2. I thought Hoth and the off-world actions that follow is where everything would come together, but in many ways it's where everything falls apart. And by that I mean, having gotten almost two-thirds of the way into the story, it's clear that there isn't a definitive order of play that must be followed, nor is there a definitive order of play that can be inferred from the class and planetary stories. While there is an overall order of events, the class stories are flexible enough that on most planets, you can experience them in any order and not break continuity. This is something that Bioware all but confirmed back in 2012, in July of that year, Bioware published a developer Q&A on the official site, still there if you wish to read it. A player named Lertzello submitted the following question. Are the various stories ordered, 
meaning when does the storyline of each Republic planet take place compared to the Imperial storyline and the storylines of the other planets. Alexander Freed, who was the lead writer at that time, gave this response. The short, unsatisfying answer? It depends. The longer answer? The class stories tend to weave in and out of one another. They all happen. Nothing's out of continuity. And they all happen roughly at the same time. Chapter 3 is Chapter 3 for everyone, for example. But there's not a set correspondence that runs all the way through. For example, you couldn't say that Jedi Knight is always half a planet ahead of the Imperial Agent, but you could say the Bounty Hunter Chapter 3 finale takes place before the Trooper Chapter 3 finale. For the world stories, it's a little more complicated. In some cases, only one of the world stories can happen. The Republican Empire can't both defeat King Ulgo on Alderaan or the villain of the False Emperor Flashpoint. For story purposes, we know these characters were defeated, but we don't know by whom. In other cases, different factions' world stories happen roughly at the same time. Aside from the final defeat of Ulgo, the rest of the Alderaan missions can be contemporaneous. Other world stories are, as you suggest, time-separated. Republic Terrace takes place significantly before Imperial Terrace, and Imperial Balmora takes place significantly before Republic Balmora. For the most part, it's best not to worry too much about ordering individual world events unless they actively reference one another. And if they contradict one another, you can assume that we won't be writing future stories that depend on one faction's participation at the exclusion of the other. For example, you'll note that Corellia Black that the Corellia Black Hole storyline reconciles the events of the Imperial and Republic Corellia storylines so that going forward we roughly know the state Corellia is in. Freed's explanation of how the story is laid out perfectly matches the experience I've had playing through all eight classes at once. The direct references have been few and far between, but as we get into the late game, I'm hopeful that they'll come fast and furious. And indeed, they are starting to pile up. For example, if you are an Imperial agent who chose to become the Hand of Darth, Hand of Darth Jadis, you'll get an additional mission on Hoth that appears to tie directly with the Jedi Knight story. The Imperial Guard is here on Hoth. I can help you find them to learn their purpose in our Master's name. Darth Jadis wants us for a mission. You'll need to tell me more. The Imperial Guard is the Emperor's elite. Their presence must mean... I don't know what it means. They arrived planetside only a few days ago. And where they've died fighting the Jedi, there may be answers for our Master. You could recover the Emperor's orders. The Imperial Agent is tasked with investigating the death of several Imperial, Imperial Guardsmen. And here, the Guardsmen are mentioned in the Jedi Knight story on Hoth. Those uniforms. You people aren't standard Imperial military. I am a member of the Emperor's personal guard, as are the men under my command. The soldiers you face are specially trained to kill Jedi, and they outnumber you. Now, a couple of things you should be aware of. The Imperial Agent's mission does not take place in the same area where the Jedi Knight fights the Imperial Guard. The Jedi battles them inside the Star, Star of Coruscant, and the Agent finds the bodies in the middle of the Starship Graveyard. Still, I think the implication here is that the guards the Agent is sent to investigate are the ones killed by the Jedi Knight. If that's the case, then the Jedi Knight needs to complete the Starship Graveyard mission before the Imperial Agent. 
That's the only chronological marker I could find on Hoth, and it only exists if the agent becomes the Hand of Jadis. The off-world events have more tie-ins, but unlike the Jedi and Agent connection, these references actually make it harder to determine an established order of play. Take, for example, the breaking of the Treaty of Coruscant and the Republican Empire going to war. This is something that's referenced in almost every story. The Sith Inquisitor story is the only one where there is no mention of all-out war between the Empire and the Republic. The Bounty Hunter learns about it from Darth Tormund. After Hoth, the Bounty Hunter goes to Nar Shaddaa to celebrate with the other champions of the Great Hunt. Turns out to be a trap, and when the Bounty Hunter arrives at the party, everyone is dead, killed by the Jedi and other members of the Republic. The Bounty Hunter defeats the Jedi, and the Republic responds by putting a huge price on the Bounty Hunter's head. The Empire disavows the Bounty Hunter, and she is summoned to meet with Darth Tormund. I see you've disposed of your escort. Can't say I appreciate Sith hospitality. Start. Destroy what is mine again, and I shall return the favor. Let's play nice with this one, please. Today, Corellia's leadership swore allegiance to the Sith Empire. Despite total occupation, the people openly rebel. What should have been a bloodless victory has escalated into full-scale war. The Treaty of Coruscant is no more. The smuggler learns about the war while attempting to heist the King's Ransom, an Imperial treasure ship in orbit above Nar Shaddaa. What's interesting is that right before boarding a shuttle to the King's Ransom, the smuggler has this conversation with Senator Dodonna. Who do you think pulled the strings to let you use this shuttle pad? Darmus told me what you're doing. It's quite heroic, really. The Treaty of Coruscant forbids official strikes on non-military vessels. We're lucky you're not bound by that. It's clear from that conversation that the Senator is unaware that the Republican Empire are back at war. A short time later, aboard the King's Ransom, the Void Wolf breaks the news. The King's Ransom is under attack. I command you to use all your fleet's resources to drive off this invasion. Now, as you always remind me, I wasn't born to the Imperial military, so I may have the power structure wrong, but I'm pretty blasted sure I outrank you. We need to stop meeting like this. You're the one they're begging me to save them from? I guess there are things pathetic lawless criminals are good for after all. You're bound by the rules of warfare to send reinforcements when an Imperial vessel is under attack. Oh, did I not mention? The Empire just declared war on the Republic and all its representatives. And as Article 17 of the Xios Convention states, an Imperial Admiral is justified in destroying Imperial targets at risk of falling into enemy hands. With the Captain's track record, I just can't take that chance. The Jedi Consul learns about the war from Jedi Master Sioba Karn. Thank the Force you're alright. The Empire has launched a devastating offensive. The galaxy is again at war. Dozens of major systems are being invaded. An Imperial ambush almost broke the Republic fleet and the Jedi. Every hour more are lost. We managed to protect the core worlds, but the rest of the Republic is under fire. The Republic won't survive another peace treaty. 
The Republic trooper gets news shortly after his successful assault on the gauntlet. I'm afraid that not all of our news is positive. We received the following holotransmission not long after the gauntlet was destroyed. Republic Command. I am General Racton of the Imperial Ministry of War. You have made a grave error. By destroying the gauntlet, you have destroyed a weapon of peace and the final hope your people had. Give me everything we've got on this man, General. I'll have a dossier sent immediately. In short, Racton is the Empire's top commander, the mastermind behind their military campaigns. I had hoped a device that removed the possibility of resistance would allow the Empire to achieve its great works without further bloodshed. But your actions have destroyed any hope for peace. I am forced to launch a campaign unlike any the galaxy has seen. Your soldiers will be slaughtered, your planets will burn, and your people will embrace the light of the Emperor's will at last. The Sith Warrior is informed by Darth Barriss, who is now a member of the Dark Council. This is a time of greatness for us, Apprentice. We are at war. The Dark Council has placed me in charge, and battles are being waged across the galaxy. You and Lord Dog will oversee the most crucial confrontations. Dog is already deployed, and now I shall unleash you. Whatever it takes, Master. I will win this war for the Empire. The Jedi Knight learns of the war when he returns to Tython after being held captive by the Emperor. Extinguishing all life in every star system? No one could do that. He wields power no Jedi or Sith has dreamed of. The renewed war is merely a diversion to conceal the Emperor's designs. His true plans are already in motion across the galaxy. One by one, every star system will simply die. And finally, the Imperial agent learns about the war after a failed mission to a Republic mining colony that was supposedly surrendering to the Empire. The Emperor and his proxies have made their intent clear. Their fleets are entering the core systems. They have broken the Treaty of Coruscant. They're captives. Our surrendered colonies are going silent. Let there be no mistake. We are at war. It should be noted that although mention of the Treaty's collapse happens after that mission, there is clearly activity happening at intelligence headquarters that indicate the Empire is already waging war, or at the very least preparing to do so. General Racton and Darth Barris request additional agents. Relay to Station 7. Updating tactical projections. I have three fixers who need extraction from the Vuta. Listening posts are done, but... Sir, go on ahead. I'll have the Minders debrief your team while you wait for Keeper. It looks like you're in crisis mode. What's going on? It's been like this since the fighting intensified. We've rushed training, gone to 16-hour shifts. Sir, Operation Kingstalker needs you. I have to go. I'm sure we'll talk more. I love the references to General Racton's and Darth Barriss's campaigns there. As you can see, building a timeline out of this is not easy. In some cases, the treaty is explicitly mentioned, and in others, there's just the mention of all-out war. One of the fatal flaws that people make when trying to establish a timeline is that they assume that the treaty is abolished and war is declared on a single day. There clearly isn't a singular event that leads to the treaty's dissolution. 
In many cases, the actions of our heroes are contributing factors in pushing the Empire and Republic towards war. The destruction of the gauntlet by the trooper, the incident in the mining colony, and the agent story, which we learned was orchestrated by Hunter, one of Cypher 9's SAS team members, the machinations of Darth Barris, and the actions of Blasis in the consular story. All of these things have the cumulative effect of leading the Empire and the Republic to cross a threshold where there can be no peace. The Treaty of Coruscant crumbles for multiple reasons, and the timing of each event all add up to the Empire and Republic engaging in all-out war by the time everyone gets to Belsavis. If I had to come up with an order for it all, I'd say that Darth Barris was probably the key instigator here. He's been orchestrating the treaty's fall for some time now. However, his formal announcement to the warrior of the treaty's demise happens right before he sends the warrior to Quesh as part of the war effort. This is where Darth Barris betrays his apprentice and the warriors ultimately named the Emperor's New Roth. We are impressed. You are worthy to be the Emperor's Roth. You've got to the count of three to explain yourself. We are your ally, friend. Look on me. I am Servant One. This is Servant Two. We are the Emperor's Hand. The Dark Council runs blind. We alone oversee the Emperor's will in the galaxy. What does that have to do with me? You have been called. The Emperor tasks the Hand with a great undertaking, and you are to become his wrath. Darth Barriss seizes power against the Emperor's wishes. He must be stopped. Of course, this ties directly in with the Jedi Knight story. Around this same time, the Jedi Knight makes his incursion into the Emperor's fortress, where he encounters Lord Scourge. You violate the Emperor's sanctum. There is only one punishment. The Emperor's Wrath. You left empty-handed on Quesh. Prepare for another disappointment. Your friends did not survive. You fight alone. Not alone. The Force is with us. By my master's command, you must die. During this encounter, Lord Scourge is still the Emperor's Wrath. The Jedi Knight falls to the Emperor and is turned to the dark side. Eventually, the Knight breaks free and returns to the light. When he does, he encounters Lord Scourge again, only this time Scourge presents himself as an ally. We're running out of time. If you have a point, make it. Though the Emperor seeks to conceal his true plans, I have seen them. That vision has driven me to this. I pledge my loyalty to you. Take me to your Jedi Council on Tython, and I'll reveal why. We're not actually considering this. I mean... He's obviously full of awful. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm with Doc. This is a trap. I seek to save this galaxy from annihilation. Without my help, your ship will never escape. I can guide you to freedom. Lord Scourge doesn't explicitly state that he's no longer the Wrath, but he wouldn't join the Knight's crew otherwise. Looking at the two stories, from a logistical standpoint, you probably want to play the Knight's mission first before you play the Warriors, although realistically, parts of their stories are likely contemporaneous. Placing each event is difficult because when it comes to dates and the passing of time, the game often leaves us in the dark. Take this conversation that the Jedi Knight has with the Force Ghost of Orcus Din after he breaks free from the Emperor's grip. Master Orgus? 
What happened? The Emperor clouded your mind in darkness. Made you do terrible things. You've been the Emperor's pawn a long time. But you're finally free. I've been under his control for days? Weeks? Time has less meaning for me than you. Long enough. Interestingly, in Knights of the Fallen Empire, the knight receives a message from Kira Carson that reads, Happy anniversary. As of today, you've been missing for a whole year. You beat your record from the Emperor's Fortress. This sheds a little light on things in that we know the Jedi Knight was imprisoned for almost a year. During that time, the other classes are likely working their way through their stories. As to the order of the other off-world events, I might place the Republic Trooper before the Imperial Agent, the Smuggler, Jedi Counselor, and Bounty Hunter feel like they're somewhat on their own in this space, and the Sith Inquisitor is completely off the grid right now with respect to the war. While the order of events is somewhat confusing, it's very cool to see these tie-ins, and if nothing else, the story does a great job of conveying the overall state of the galaxy at this point in time. Now, not all of the tie-ins and references come from the class stories. We're starting to see more crossovers come from the companion stories, Perhaps none as significant as Lieutenant Pierce's plans to get the band back together. My lord, glad we have a moment. Something we need to discuss. Got a message from General Racton. You might have heard of him. Most decorated commander in the Empire. Seems the Empire set their sights on Corellia. They want Black Ops leading the charge. Me and the old team. He could command anyone in the Empire. Corellia's the real deal. Core world, one of the Republic's founders. Gonna take more than the latest batch of recruits to claim it. Black Ops soldiers use their brains. General asked for strategy. Told him we could take the planet with one target. Sebastian. You and your team may be the most qualified. Ready, willing, and able. We've been planning this assault for years. Sebastian's the center of operations for the entire Republic military. We'd be cutting their legs out from under them. The Republic's plans fall apart. Morale disappears. By the time they get their Canucks in a row, Corellia will be ours. Conquering the Bastion may give us more than Corellia. Sure. A place in history. Black Ops's place in history. My team can handle the preparations. General Racton will give us the order. All I need is your leave. Inform the General that you have my blessing. Yes, my lord. Thank you, my lord. First steps tracking down the old team. Could be at the four corners of the galaxy by now. It'll take some time. Let you know who I find later. General Rakton and the Bastion are a big part of the trooper story. A couple of other notable tie-ins on Hoth. The Jedi Consular works with Lieutenant Felix Aresso, who joins her crew after their mission is done. We learn a little bit about his time on Ord Mantell. Ord Mantell. That posting was lousy. I imagine it seems rather trivial since facing Captain Balon. Hoth was a bad mission in good company. This was the other way around. I was in a unit scattering a Separatist training camp, setting noise charges, ambushes, that sort of thing. But Lieutenant Jorgen had seniority, and he let me know it. Snap inspections, status reports. Every day he was up in arms about something. Did you get used to it eventually? I said yes, sir, when he ranted. Then did what was best for the unit. Maybe I'm being too hard on Jorgen. He was a good soldier. He's probably a general by now. 
We did the job and didn't lose a single man. Jorgen got a commendation. I got transferred to Sirocco, then to Duro, then Hoth. Of course, Jorgen was still on Ordmantel when we first met him, and we know what's happened with him since. One other thing of note is that in the Jedi Consular story, she has a run-in with a child of the Emperor. Here is the Consular briefing Master Seal Bakarn of her encounter. The children of the Emperor. Now, of all times, you say they've hidden themselves in the Republic. Sounds like you've come across the children before. Several years ago, one of the Dark Council turned and joined us. He brought valuable intelligence. He mentioned these children of the Emperor. But even the Dark Council only knew terrible rumors. I hate Siobhan's response to this because it completely ignores the events from the Jedi Knight story where Kira Carson informs the Council that she was a child of the Emperor herself. If you recall, Seal was there when that happened. We've heard rumors about these children of the Emperor before, but this finally confirms their existence. Troubling that we never sensed the truth about Kira and Master Kuix brought her to us. That makes her especially dangerous. She can't be allowed to remain free. Kira's master should have a voice in this. What do you recommend? I brought her to you because I wasn't sure what to do. Our path is clear. The girl is dangerous. She lied to us. To allow her to remain a Padawan, become a Jedi Knight? It's inconceivable. Is it? Did we not first learn of the children of the Emperor from a Sith turn to the light? Master Braga speaks the truth. No one is beyond redemption. I get that they are trying to avoid spoilers here, but they could have masked it better and said that a Jedi or a Padawan was recently revealed to be a child of the Emperor. I think that would have been better than this. So just to recap everything, the only true order for the planet Hoth is to make sure that Jedi Knight finishes his mission in the Starship Graveyard before the Imperial Agent, assuming the Agent is the Hand of Jadis. Other than that, I didn't find anything in the class stories that suggested a true order of play. As for the planetary stories on Hoth, the middle section for the Empire and Republic are mutually exclusive. One mission involves taking out Sav, the leader of the Hailstorm Brotherhood, and there's another mission that takes place at the Geothermal Power Station. You should choose one faction to complete these missions. As for the off-world actions that lead into Chapter 3, I would start with the Jedi Knight, knowing that the other class stories are likely happening while the Jedi Knight is being held in captivity by the Emperor, and we know this covers almost a year's time. The warrior's mission on Quesh, where he becomes the Wrath, likely occurs around the time the Knight breaks free. The Imperial Agent story probably takes place after the Trooper, but before the Warrior. It's hard to say. I feel like the others can go whenever. What is certain is that by the time everybody heads to Belsavis, the Treaty of Coruscant is no more, and the galaxy is once again at war. As for Belsavis, we'll have to wait until next time to see what the order of play should be, but it's a pretty good bet that the Jedi Consular should start things off. We should talk to these Eshka, see how they feel about another empire causing trouble. Final note for today, I want to do a quick shout out to Darth Boomy of Boomy Nation. The bearded one is now officially a Bioware influencer. Congratulations, Boomy. And that's going to do it for today. 
Let me cut in the sublight engines and cue the music and congratulate you on surviving another half hour listening to episode 82 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and I thank you for tuning in. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, and Buzzsprout. You can also listen to the show directly from the show's site, which is SotorPodcast.com. And there is an RSS feed where you can subscribe to the podcast directly. If you have a question for the show, you can email me at SotorPodcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet your questions to at SotorPodcast or send me a direct message. And be sure to follow me on Twitter to get the latest information on the show. For episode 83, probably around July 9th, I might have a guest. We'll see. Until then, remember the Sith Code, cake is alive.